raw, uncut, and unapologetic. Welcome to Men Talking Mindfulness with your hosts John McCaskill and Will Schneider. Here we focus on helping men and those with men in their lives solve some of life's complex challenges through understanding the practices of mindfulness and how they can help. Each episode is in an environment free of judgment and criticism with a focus on authenticity and inner peace. Let's dig in. Welcome to the show. Hey, check this out. We're going to start with uh, with this quote. The relentless pursuit of high self-esteem has become a virtual religion. Our ultra-competitive culture tells us we need to be consistently above average to feel good about ourselves, but there's always someone more attractive, successful, or intelligent than we are. And even when we do manage to grab hold of high self-esteem for a brief moment, we can't seem to keep it. Our sense of self-worth goes up and down like a ping-pong ball rising and falling and locked up with our latest success or failure. Fortunately, there's an alternative to self-esteem that many experts believe is a better and more effective path to happiness, self-compassion. The research by Dr. Kristen Neff and other leading psychologists indicates that people who are compassionate towards their failings and imperfections exercise greater well-being than those who repeatedly judge themselves. This is a quote uh, with the back cover of our guest book, Dr. Kristen Neff, uh, Self-Compassion, The Proven Power of Being Kind to Yourself. And it goes on to say, this book powerfully demonstrates why it is so important to be self-compassion and give yourself the same caring support you'd give a good friend. Welcome back to Men Talking Mindfulness, everybody, where each episode, John over there, my co-host in Colorado Springs, and I break down an aspect of mindfulness and make it meaningful to you. This week, we're going to take a deep dive into the proven power of being kind to yourself with best-selling author, Dr. Kristen Neff, who is currently Associate Professor of Educational Psychology at the University of Texas at Austin. Dr. Neff is a pioneer in the field of self-compassion research, conducting the first empirical studies on self-compassion nearly 20 years ago. She has been recognized as one of the most influential researchers in psychology worldwide. Along with her colleague, Chris Germer, she developed the empirically supported Mindful Self-Compassion program and co-wrote the Mindful Self-Compassion workbook. Her latest book is Fierce Self-Compassion, How Women Can Harness uh, Kindness to Speak Up, Claim Their Power, and Thrive. In this episode, we are going to cover the principles of self-compassion and also some exercises that we that can help us develop more of it. What is common humanity and how it helps us develop self-compassion? The difference between uh, self-compassion and self-esteem, and how women are socialized not to be fierce and men are socialized not to be tender. I'm stoked for this episode. In case you can't tell. Kristen, it is an honor to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, John, as always, great to see you. How is life over there in Colorado Springs? Uh, it's it's beautiful. It's uh, still chilly out here. And I know before we hit record, uh, you and Kristen were talking about, you know, that, that it's warmer where you guys are already. Uh, that said, um, we have our Mindfulness Adventure Retreat coming up May 18th through the 21st in upstate New York. And we still have some space, though it is limited. So sign up quickly. Uh, you know, if you sign up before March 18th, you'll save $200. So if you go to mentalkingmindfulness.com forward slash retreat, you can sign up for that. And we've also started a weekly newsletter to help you live a happier, healthier, and more stress-free 2023. And we're giving away a free mindfulness workbook with that. If you'd like a copy of that workbook, and subscribe to the newsletter. Simply text the word mindful to the number 33777. Again, that's mindful to the number 33777. And then lastly, if you want to subscribe to our YouTube channel, just go to www.youtube.com forward slash at the symbol at men talking mindfulness. All right. And we are so excited to get this started. Let's, uh, let's start with our opening practice. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, we do an opening practice to ground ourselves, to ground you guys as the audience, and to hopefully help our guests get grounded too, though I'm sure, Dr. Neff, you're I'm sure more grounded than we are because we are so excited to have you here with us today. But if you are listening live or later, get comfortable, whatever that may look like for you. Get into a position that is both comfortable and safe, and that's physically and psychologically for yourself. 
and simply just bring your attention intentionally to your breath, noticing the physical aspects of your breath. The rise and fall of your diaphragm, the expansion and contraction of your belly and chest. Noticing where and how the air enters your body on your inhalation and where and how it leaves your body on your exhalation. Picturing breathing in positivity and life on your inhalation and breathing out negativity and toxicity on your exhalation. And we'll close with two deep cleansing breaths together. Begin by emptying your lungs, breathing out all your air, bringing your navel to your spine. Deep breath in, ideally through your nose, filling your lungs all the way to the top. Hold and release, release, release. Holding empty at the bottom. Last deep breath in, filling all the way from the bottom to the top. Hold and release. And as you release, Bring some motion back into your body, maybe wiggle your fingers, roll your shoulders, roll your neck. And if your eyes were closed, go ahead and open them back up. And now we are ready to kick this off. Will, I'll turn it over to you to start. Uh, awesome. Hey, again, thank you, uh, Kristen, for joining us today. So you've dedicated your life to studying self-compassion. Like, What has sparked your interest in it? Now, well, first of all, thanks, uh, Will and John, for having me on. Um, yeah, so I've really devoted my life to self-compassion, but uh, it started as a practice. It was actually my last year of graduate school at, at University of California at Berkeley. And it was a really hard time in my life. I had uh, gotten a divorce recently and I was feeling a lot of stress about after getting my PhD, would I get a job? And so I'd heard about mindfulness. I was in Berkeley, right? Even though it was probably 1995, it was Berkeley. so. Um, I'd heard about mindfulness meditation and heard that it was supposed to be good for stress. And so there was a, a, a center, a Buddhist center, just down the street from where I live that taught in the tradition of Thich Nhat Hanh, who's uh, recently passed, but a Zen master. And fortunately for me, because Thich Nhat Hanh not only taught mindfulness, um, his group taught about self-compassion. I mean, I knew, I knew that Buddhists were into compassion, so to speak, but they talked a lot about the need to turn the lens of compassion inward as well as outward. And so it took me a while to figure out mindfulness meditation, how to do it. It was, you know, a more advanced skill. But the very first night I came home from the group, I started being kinder to myself. I said, you know, Kristen, this is a really hard time. You're feeling difficulty. I'm here for you. I just spoke to myself like I would speak to a friend. And I was so amazed at the immediate difference it had my ability to cope with the stress and difficulty I was feeling. So that's really, so it started as a personal practice and I didn't start researching it until maybe, uh, maybe five, five or seven years later. Yeah, but it, it's, a, it's a practice, just like mindfulness, it's a practice. I know, uh, I, I find myself, and in, in reading your book, some of your, some of your uh, many of the quotes spoke to me and um, Will and I have spoken about this in the past, how we're, we are both guilty of beating ourselves up a lot. Uh, you know, and you mentioned this both in your, your talks and in your book about how we say things to ourselves that we would never say to other people, even to other people that we don't like. Yes. And one, one line in particular jumped out at me in that you said, you don't want to beat yourself up for beating yourself up in the vain hope that it will somehow make you stop beating yourself up. Yes. It's like, a, it's this crazy cycle that we get into. Yeah. Um, yeah. But in, in talking about self-compassion, can you help our listeners understand the three steps or three parts of self-compassion? Where are they and how do we practice them? 
Right. Yeah. So, so the most obvious aspect of self-compassion is kindness. And so the way I define it, I actually define it as being kind, warm, and supportive as opposed to harshly judgmental. So you're basically replacing the uncompassionate behavior with the compassionate behavior. Uh, but it's actually not just kindness from my point of view. Like people say, well, what's the difference between self-compassion and self-love? Good question. Mm. Uh, well, first of all, just as, as a broader context, in the Latin, passion means suffering and con means with. So it's how are we with our suffering, the difficult mm. thoughts, whether we it's the feelings of inadequacy or maybe just something difficult that happens in our life. So the way I've defined it, we're with it in these three main ways, and they really all have to be there. It's like a three-legged stool. Yes, there's kindness, but really essential to self-compassion is mindfulness. So mindfulness is actually interwoven with self-compassion. We can't have self-compassion without mindfulness because we need to be able to turn toward and be with the pain with mindfulness in order to give ourselves kindness. Right? Could you imagine if a friend called you and said, oh, I'm really upset, I need some help, and you're like, nope, too busy. Or you started just talking <laughs> over your friend and didn't let your friend talk. You know, so, so actually, it's not an accident that I learned about self-compassion while learning mindfulness. Because we need to be in, with the balance of mindfulness. We don't ignore, we don't suppress our pain. But on the other hand, we don't get lost in it. We don't get carried away with it. There's like a space, there's a balanced space that mindfulness provides toward the pain that's really kind of the first temporal step of, of um, self-compassion. And then, you know, we, we intentionally give ourselves warmth and kindness. You might, you might say mindfulness is the space, uh, the kindness is the warmth, the care. Uh, so we, we, we intentionally call it up. And then this is the third element that needs to be there is connectedness, right? So the remembering that we are not alone. And if you're really to unpack this, like especially from a, a Buddhist lens, it actually starts going down to the idea that the idea that we're separate selves, disconnected from the world is actually an illusion. You don't even have to take it that deeply, just at the level of everyone isn't perfect, everyone struggles, and we know this logically, but what happens when we're suffering and we're struggling is it feels like everyone else is leading a normal, perfect life and it's just me who's made a mistake, or just me who's struggling in this way. And so the sense of interconnectedness is and really compassion, if you think about it, compassion for others has this inherent interconnectedness in it, you know, as opposed to pity. If I pity someone, I'm looking down on them, I feel separate. If I have mm. compassion for them, it's like, oh yeah, I've been there. The exact same thing with self-compassion. So it's not self-pity, it's not poor me, woe is me, it's well, life is difficult for everyone. Yeah, for some people, it's not like all suffering is the same or manifests the same way, but this is what actually connects us. It doesn't separate us. And so from, from my point of view, you really need all three to make this a, a stable and healthy mindset. Can we go a little bit deeper into, I mean, with that um, second piece of that interconnectedness that you're talking about, or one of the principal elements is the, and, um, you know, I'm working through, you know, self-compassion training now and using it as a tool, you know, to help. It's really been helping me, like you said earlier, just like to really be kinder to myself and, and me. And it's such a, a simple tool, but so incredibly effective when you really yeah. like use it, like become aware that you are suffering. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what I'm learning is like second element is like you know, to, to draw forth um, common humanity. So meaning like that interconnectedness is like, I'm not the only person that has ever suffered this way. And in yeah. learning that, that aspect of common humanity, I was like, whoa, it really just took a tremendous amount of pressure, tremendous amount of all that like self-loathing, or I was even like kind of harder on myself when, when I, yeah. when I can't really see out of the fog of, of, you know, my, my latest beat down, <laughs> self beat down, if you will. Um, yeah. can you just like, dig a little bit deeper into um, you know, why this common humanity is just such a such a powerful tool as, as part of this principal element within you know practicing self-compassion yeah so it's actually there's a, there's a lot to common humanity it's, you, it's actually the wisdom component of self-compassion right so there's like the space there's a warmth and then there's the wisdom hmm. so it, in a couple of different ways so one is at the very simple level that when we feel all alone, when we feel isolated, especially for human beings, it's incredibly scary. 
right? They, mm. You know, evolutionary biology, they say a lone monkey is a dead monkey. So when we yeah. feel like it's just us, we're isolated, you know, we're different, there's something wrong with us. It's like we're adding insult to injury because not only are we struggling, when we shame ourselves and we cut ourselves up off from others mentally, it just makes it a lot worse. So you might say kind of at the very basic level, what it does is we feel that there's nothing wrong with us for making mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes. That's how we learn. Yeah. Nothing mm. wrong with us for having even difficult situations. That is part, they're part of the human experience. It's what it means to be human. So immediately, as you say, it takes some of the pressure off when we realize, okay, it's not just us. Mm. Um, but if you were to take it even deeper, so I told you I, you know, I was studying with Thich Nhat Hanh at the time, I was developing my ideas about self-compassion. And um, he uses a term called interbeing. So mm. in other words, it's, or sometimes they talk about interdependence. It's not just I'm not alone. It's also recognizing that we blame ourselves for everything as if we had control. You know, it almost feels better to say, I should have done that than to realize, well, actually, I tried my best and I couldn't, you know, which is like the truth of things yeah. is not in our control. It's mm -hmm. everything we experience is related to countless innumerable causes and conditions, our genes, the weather, politics, the stress, what we ate that day, I mean, they're just, they're just limitless. And so part of what compassion does, if you think if, when you have compassion for others, part of that is recognizing Oh, these were the these were the situational factors that led that person to act as they did, their upbringing, their trauma, their you know what was happening. We use that to kind of have more compassion for people, and so that's the deeper level with, with self compassion, recognizing that you know we aren't in total control. The idea that we're in control and that we should be able to get it all right is a complete illusion. Our behaviors are the product of many many other causes and conditions. And so when we, when we really look, and that's the wisdom, when we really see that, then mm. naturally our hearts start to soften, you know, because we, we see that, yeah, we're just human beings doing the best we can moment to moment with what, what life has given us. Again, that doesn't mean we don't take responsibility. We, we still have right. to take responsibility for the next steps. But the past is not really our fault, Right. you know? So it's not our fault, but it is our responsibility. We accept that this is what's happened. And then our responsibility is as we go forward to try as best we can not to cause ourselves another suffering. So that's, that's, that's really where it starts leading. So you can see it's very, very deep. Yeah, I feel that when, you know, when I first began to practice that element, like that common humanity, I was just like, it, it, it really like, there, there is a deep wisdom. I mean, it's almost like an inherent wisdom because it's because of that yeah. interbeing, because of that interconnectedness, and it just, yeah. you know, it, it like it, it really just, um, it just got me out of my hole almost all the time. And, and and what you said earlier is like, you know, I didn't need to beat myself up as much. And then I started realizing, well, you know, Will, you, you did the best you could. Like, and these are the yeah. results. So take responsibility. Right. And then, you know, take this wisdom that I gained from this effort. Right. I didn't really mm -hmm. fail. I just had an experience. That's another yeah. thing, you know, that I'm understanding as well. I didn't fail. Like it's just, okay, these are results from this experience. And now what I'm going to, and then the next at bat, it's like, what am I going to try? Uh, then how am I going to try the next time, you know, from, from this more loving, softer, more compassionate, you know, but also wiser kind of space. So it just was such yeah. a, um, you know, and, and I just like, you know, our, our audience out there, like, I'm just really getting onto this point because, you know, we're going to get into self-esteem a little bit and that's, you know, and I, I'm definitely a, a, have been, and I'm trying to relax from being a self-esteem addict. And it's just like, it would just work against me. Like when I wasn't reaching the goals, like, you know, when, like we quoted in the beginning and I was failing and measuring myself against other people, God, the beatdown just got worse and I just felt worse yeah. and I felt more isolated and I felt more alone and, you know, I felt like a failure and like the, the likelihood of me showing up again and trying was was diminished. Um, this is just such a such a great, great, great tool. Um, uh, you know, so what you know, why is this? Why is like compassion and self-compassion such a just a powerful, you know, development, a personal development tool and transformational tool? Um, yes. Well, 
Were you going to say something, John? I felt like you were about I, to I was. Yeah, I was, sorry. but uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's perfectly okay. Um, no, I, I was just going to, I was going to ask a question that we can ask after this, but I know, okay. uh, you know, Will's question about the personal development and transformation, and then also, you know, the, I guess the follow-on question to that, why is it so difficult to be yeah. compassionate toward ourselves? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, in terms of why is it so essential, and I really do think it's essential for personal transformation, is um, if you think about it, it's the suffering that trips us up, right? So we have the negative thought or the, the fear about ourselves or the feeling of inadequacy um, or the stress that we can't cope with or the situation is just so intense we can't cope. And that's when we start to spiral down, right? That's when we start developing things like depression or anxiety disorders or eating disorders or addictions. I mean, most of the... Um, really difficult psychological stuff we experience is related to not being able to be with suffering or with the pain in a way that we can get through it. Um, and so if you think about what personal transformation is, you know, changing your patterns, learning new ways mm. to deal with the tough stuff. And yeah, there, there is a role, and I'm not downplaying it, of also focusing on the good stuff. That's really important. So we don't want to leave it out. And yet it's really the negative, the suffering, the pain that trips us up and gets us into that kind of death spiral even. I mean, it's sometimes for people literally, right? So the ability to hold pain with love and connectedness and presence, which is what self-compassion is, like loving, connected presence, be able to be with it, it, uh, it strengthens us. It allows us so that we aren't so overwhelmed by the negative emotions and thoughts and feelings. Um, and it kind of that that the caring is actually an engine, you know. It, so in, in in psychology, if you take a brain scan of someone who's experiencing compassion for someone else, the motor cortex gets activated. There's this desire to help to do something because we care. And so with ourselves, when we care about ourselves, there's this desire to do something to help because we care, which is actually the engine of personal transformation. Otherwise, why even bother? You know, we do it because we care. So self-compassion gives us the ability to be with the tough stuff. It gives us strength, coping, and resilience. Uh, it also gives us the wisdom to see clearly. And by the way, mindfulness plays a big role here, right? Without mindfulness, there's no clarity. So the mindfulness gives us the clarity to see what's happening. Um, the, the heart gives us the bravery to really look, even though it's so painful. Oh, I see this is my pattern, or this is how I'm contributing to my pattern. The connectedness gives us the, the safety of knowing we aren't alone. There's nothing wrong with us. Everyone has patterns. And then together, those three ingredients allows us to let go of what's not serving us and to start to adopt new habits and behaviors that are more healthy. I mean, I don't, you couldn't do personal transformation without self-compassion in my book. If you, if you just tried to like, I'm just gonna, you know, every day and every way I'm getting better and better, you know, like affirmations, it kind of works, but it's, it's not stable. It's gonna crumble eventually because it's built on a lie. Mm. You know, when you, yeah. start, when you start lying to yourself, you don't accept the pain, you try to avoid the pain, it's not stable, it won't last. You have to turn toward and accept this hurts, or I, I feel so badly about what I did. Ouch. Okay, hold that. Can I hold that pain with mindfulness, with connectedness, with care, with the desire to help in some way? And then once we do that, change starts to happen. The, yeah, yeah, tied to that, and I think you actually answered a lot of this question, but I just want to kind of make it a little bit more specific. When I, when I speak to leaders and parents, um, yeah. I, I talk to them about how important self-compassion is. Um, and often I get, well, you know, I've got to care for my kid first, or I've got to care for my people first. That's what I've been told as a leader, as a parent, take yes. care of them first, take care of them first. How do you feel parents and leaders can improve their effectiveness through self-compassion? Yeah, so um, it's kind of related to Will's question about the blocks, you know, or maybe it's yours, John, I forget, but regardless, the question, the blocks to self-compassion. Culturally, we have these uh, misperceptions about self-compassion that stand in the way and actually um, research shows that actually serve as blocks to being able to practice it. 
Uh, so one common block is that it's uh, selfish. So often parents or people who are in the professional role of helping others, leaders would be in, in that role as well. They think it's a block. I'm supposed to think of myself first and then, no, think of others first and then myself. But it's based on the misperception that somehow there's a limited amount of compassion. And if I give three units to myself, I'm only going to have two left over from someone else. It doesn't work that way. It's the opposite. It's additive. Mm -hmm. So the more compassion we give ourselves, the more we're resourced, the more we're able to not be so overwhelmed by our negative emotions, the more able, more capacity we have to look up from the black hole and say, okay, oh, it's okay. Then we can focus on others, right? So the more compassion flows inward, the more available we have to flow outward. So for instance, there's a lot of research showing that um, Self-compassion prevents burnout. If you give and you give and you give and meet others' needs first and forget your own, your cup will run dry guaranteed. Right. Not yeah. all that at some point in the future. So by resourcing yourself, including for the, the pain of having to care for others or deal with other people's issues, and you give yourself kindness, compassion, warmth, support, connectedness, that actually what is what allows us to keep going and to continue to give. Um, for leaders, another actually what we show in research, the biggest block to self-compassion worldwide, it's amazing, is people really think we need to be hard on ourselves to motivate change. You know, <laughs> the be too self-compassionate, which basically means, but aren't you being complacent if you just say, oh, whatever, I did my best, it's okay, you know. <laughs> people really think that because they forget that the engine of compassion is the desire to alleviate suffering. And if you're complacent and you don't want to try to change an unhealthy behavior, you're causing suffering. You aren't alleviating suffering. Self-compassion is a better motivator than self-criticism because self-criticism well, self kind of works. People want to, you know, a lot of people got through law school or med school through self-criticism, but it works the exact same way going back to parents that harsh criticism of children works. Mm -hmm. If you're very hard and you say, I'm going to ground you forever, I'm going to yell at you and shame you, that kid will be frightened of you and they probably will work harder on the short term to try to achieve so that they don't get the, the wrath of the parents. But hopefully you know there's a lot of downsides to that. The kid may develop performance anxiety, which actually undermines performance, may develop fear of failure. They're going to take learning risks because the consequences are too great. You know, shame is not exactly a get up and go mindset. You know, shame, blame, like it, it, it takes up so much energy. It actually works directly against your goal of achieving what you want. So we have a paper, should be coming out soon. Um, hopefully it should be almost accepted where we taught self-compassion to NCAA athletes. So these are kids whose college scholarships rely on being the best. They can't be number two. They have to be number one. You know, they want to have a pro career. Second best isn't good enough. Self-compassion doesn't mean you don't try to be number one. What it means is if you fail to be number one, instead of saying, oh, I'm a failure, I hate myself, you say, okay, that didn't work out. How can I change so that I do get to where I want? And so we taught athletes, NCAA athletes, self-compassion. We, we taught them to use it as a form of feedback Okay, it happens. This is how I learn. What can I learn from the situation, the failure, and the you know sport or training routine? And it actually improved their performance, both self-rated wow. performance, good-rated performance, because it gave them the emotional resources and the space to actually see clearly. Oh, I see that's not working for me. I I, I can see actually. I don't have to blame other people. No, that's right. You know, it gives you the safety to see exactly what's not working. And it gives you the motivation to try to change it, you know. And I'm it, sure, it, I'm sure it reduced their anxiety around around it. it. So first of all, a little bit of anxiety. It's not like we don't want any anxiety. A little bit right. of like, oh, okay, it's really important to me. It's okay, but when it's like when when it gets too much or when it's linked to shame, it's actually demotivating. We cannot learn when we're feeling shame. It's it's a, mm. such a debilitating mind state. Right. So it's like, okay, that wasn't good enough. And that's true. It wasn't good enough. But just because it wasn't good enough doesn't mean you're not good enough. Just because yeah. your game wasn't good enough doesn't mean that you're not good enough. And so that safety that I'm good enough, even if my game isn't, gives mm. you the ability. Okay, well, then how can I improve my game? You know, how can right. I make it better? How can I learn? How can I grow? Whatever. 
So it's 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 Something, really breaks uh, my heart. Completely counter to reality that fear. If uh, I don't know if you guys remember the movie Dodgeball, uh, that the comedy yeah. movie Dodgeball. Well, in in the movie, and, and you know it's satire, um, but there's a there's a scene in the movie where this uh, owner of the gym, uh, his commercial says, you know, it's not our fault that you don't hate yourself enough to do something about your body. And, you know, as funny as that sounds, that's yeah. kind of the, the monologue that so many of us have in our head. Yeah. And it, it can be, like you said, it can motivate us for sure, but it can also be so detrimental to our psyche and, and our hearts. And, uh, you know, I love the, the self-compassion way of, of taking that and saying, you know what, you, you, may have, you may have missed the mark on this, but that's okay. What did you learn from it and move, move forward? Um, and, and you're still a, a beautiful human being, right? And we're all in this together. Um, yeah. I don't know how effective that would be for a, for a gym slogan, but <laughs> anyhow, yeah. Um, yeah, I'll turn over to Will. He's got more, more questions. Well, no, I was, uh, it's interesting at hearing you talk uh, about compassion and, and about even like athletes or anybody that's like high performance or anybody that creative life or really trying to, you know, put their best foot forward in order to, you know, excel at anything. You know, in that in that sh if you're shaming yourself or like, you know, I had I played basketball through college and did not have the best coach. And it was he was always like a shame tactic. And, yeah. you know, and, and now this conversation, it's like shame puts me outside that interconnectedness, puts me outside of the group. Right. And therefore, I feel disconnected and therefore I'm trying to get back in, you know, to the good graces yeah. of the coach. Whereas, like, yeah. you know, um, looking at any attempt, whatever you do as as an attempt as an experience and learning from that staying you know within that interconnectedness it keeps me instead of like shame just puts me into like a mind game you know just like it just keeps like it keeps going around and i keep shaming myself even more and then i'm beating myself even more and like um whereas like compassion it just puts you right into the seat of your conscious which is your heart puts you right That's into right. your heart and that heart is that unifying energy you know, this is what I'm learning through, you know, the, the course I've been taking. And, and it's like, and I'm also experiencing it in my own life. It's like when I'm sitting in my heart, it's like, you know, I, that's, that's where the kindness is. You know, that's where I can begin to learn. That's where I can connect and not just to other people, but like almost like a, a higher consciousness at the same time. And, it, and, yeah. and it's just so powerful, you know, compassion. Um, so, uh, why don't we go into, um, unless you didn't want to say anything about that, uh, Kristen, uh, or we can go into that comparison between self-compassion and self-esteem, I think would be a, I think a big uh, wake-up call for a lot of our listeners to learn about yeah. that distinction. Yeah, so, um, so defining terms, so I already defined self-compassion as a way of relating to your suffering with kindness, mindfulness, and connectedness. Self-esteem is a positive judgment of worth, and it's kind of an evaluation, the word esteem. Do I esteem myself highly or poorly, or am I somewhere in between? And so um, they both provide a sense of self-worth, but the self-worth of self-esteem is contingent, almost always. It's usually contingent on success, right? So I esteem myself when I'm successful, not when I fail, or it's contingent on, um, other people liking me, right? Or looking a certain way, or, or being good at the things I value, whether it's sports or music or whatever your, your whatever domain you care about. Um, and it's comparative, right? So it's not okay in American culture to be average. If I said, hey, this is an average podcast, let's face it, you guys are gonna not feel good about that. If you say my work's average, I'm not gonna feel good about that. It's really built into our culture that it's not okay to be average. So what that means is we're always kind of looking for, we're looking to other people. You know, when, they, when we feel other people outperform us in some way, we feel bad, we feel kind of good. It's like, oh, they aren't just so, you know, that's the ego jockeying for a position. Uh, and it, it causes a lot of harm uh, and it's unstable, right? Like I said, it's like a ping pong ball, you know, because because it depends. So self-compassion also provides a sense of self-worth but it's unconditional, right? In other words, I am okay, regardless of whether or not my behavior is good, good or bad, or my, you know, my, I achieve or not. So it's like, it's, it's a constant friend. When, when you succeed, it's there, okay, good job. But when you fail, it's also okay, well, that's all right, just try again. 
And so, and again, the research really supports that. So for instance, I, I did one study where we measured state self, self-esteem, which is like, how are you feeling about yourself today? Um, 12 times over eight months, and it was self-compassion, not level overall level of how much you like yourself, self-esteem that predicted stability. So it's, uh, it's yeah, that's the best way to talk about it. It's, it's a better friend than self-esteem. Who's gonna desert you when the chips are down? <laughs> one, one thing uh, about self-esteem that was revelatory to me, it's like, well, there's always like a lower or higher evaluation. So you're always leveraging against yourself against other people or measuring yourself against other people. Um, yeah. You know, I'm using others to lift myself up. Um, you know, and also it's like, it's connected. Like you said, it's connecting to something uh, outside of yourself. It's like, I, I, I like, I do the thing to be okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, I do this in order to, you know, relive those feelings or, or, or to make myself feel better about myself or whatever kind of, um, you know, mental, you know, rat race you're kind of bringing in, into the self-esteem because you're connected to something that is really defining you instead of like, you know, you defining yourself from, you know, the essence of your being, which, which is your heart and, which right. you know, when, brings us right. In the, when a baby yeah. is born, you say, oh, I'm, you know, that baby has got better get a master's degree before that baby is worthy of care and kindness. You know, no, it's intrinsic. It's intrinsic yeah. to, our, to us as living human, you know, beings. You know, I would even say it's intrinsic to being itself, to awareness itself. And we give that away with self-esteem, you know, by saying it, oh, yeah, I'm only worthy if I achieve or if I get these kudos or if people like me or I have a certain number of Instagram followers or whatever your your metric is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not all bad, though. Is like what does healthy esteem look like? You know, it's not all all bad self-esteem. Is there healthy esteem? You, you certainly you want it's better to judge yourself positively than negatively for your mental health. Right. Um, and so it, it, healthy self-esteem is basically self-esteem that's not contingent. And they do have something in psychology called non-contingent self-esteem. So in other words, you esteem yourself, you value, you value yourself based on just the fact that you're a human being. So if that, so you might say non-contingent self-esteem is what self-compassion gives you, right? Or, and also non-contingent self-esteem helps you be self-compassionate. So the two are very related. Um, but as soon as it starts depending on outcomes, um, you know, it's, it's not necessarily terrible. And it, it can be a motivating factor. Well, I, I really you know, want to feel good about myself, so I'll try a little bit harder. But why not try a little harder because you care? regardless of whether, you know, you're, you're a good person, regardless, you care because you want to achieve and you care about yourself. So you want to reach your goals and you want to celebrate and You know, it's, it tends to be a healthier source of achievement. And you're going to achieve more with self-compassion than you are with self-esteem anyway. Because yeah, because it'll, here's the, I mean, you've seen it ad nauseum. We learn from our mistakes. Failure is our best teacher and it is true. And we forget it. <laughs> we know it's true. Yeah, okay, I know, I know, I know, but I don't really want to believe it. I don't want to really accept that truth. It is true, like it or not. We learn from our failures. Yeah. And so self compassion is what allows us to learn from our failures and mistakes. You know, that's why it's so incredibly useful. And in business contexts and corporate contexts, you know, when it's okay to make mistakes. Now, it's not okay to make a mistake and just say, oh, well, it made a mistake, la di da. You know, because if you don't take responsibility for trying to better the next time, then that's, of course, that's not healthy. Right. But saying, I shouldn't have made a mistake. Like, oh, yeah, what planet did you come from? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's not how we learn. And right. there's actually research that shows that leaders that model that, for instance, are much more respected by their employees. A leader, you can say, wow, I blew it. I take responsibility. Does it mean I'm bad? happens okay and here's the key part what are we going to do differently next time and that desire that that is that is the motivational engine of self-compassion the desire to alleviate suffering but because we care not because we're inadequate or unworthy and leaders who model the opposite if they don't accept their own failures and admit them and learn from them, then they're modeling a culture where failure is not an option, is not acceptable, and people are scared to take any type of risks uh, or stick their neck out there at all. 
um, blame each other and they don't right. take responsibility. And that's that's when you start really getting into a toxic work environment. Yeah, when, absolutely. Uh, it's all really competitive. No one takes responsibility. Backstabbing, lack of communication is actually it's not a healthy business environment. If people don't feel free to tell each other the truth and communicate, because then you're limiting the amount of information that's available to you. Right. And you get people hiding yeah. things, hiding their failures, hiding their inability to meet deadlines, yeah. uh, falsifying yeah. records and everything. I mean, it just goes down. Yeah. Um, but coming back to yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> the the difference between self-compassion and self-esteem, you, you mentioned comparative. Uh, you yes. know, the the in your TED talk, um, you, you mentioned the epidemic of narcissism and, and bullying. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you tie the self-esteem to the yeah. epidemic of narcissism and bullying and what can be done about this? Yeah. So so believe it or not, psychology has shown the reason little kids start to bully others and then this continues to bullying like workplace bullying. It's because people want to build their self-esteem. If I can bully you, if I can look down on you, I feel right. good about myself in comparison to you. So it's kind of that's what I, that's why part a big reason why I'm doing it is because I, mm -hmm. I I'm boosting my self-esteem when I pick on you or put you down. Um, and so and then narcissism, narcissism is is you know where the need for high self-esteem is so strong. First of all, people can't accept any sort of criticism. They completely deflect it and blame others, right? Um, and also the distortion that happens. The distortion comes from, it's like, I can't possibly accept that I've made a mistake or I've done something wrong. So I have to distort reality to sort of convince myself. The victim mentality, narcissists are often victims. It's, you know, yeah. they're being so mad at me because they can't take responsibility because it's too painful to themselves because of their self-esteem. So you can see that both of these are not very healthy ways to deal with the need to care about ourselves. We should care about ourselves. We should value ourselves, but not because we're better than others, just because it's intrinsic to our nature. Every single being is worthy of love and kindness. It's, it's who we are as, 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 as beings, you know? human and otherwise, including animals, I would say, you know, for sure, yeah, com completely. Um, we actually have a good question here. And this can also take me into my next question where, you know, I, um, uh, I don't know if I should read the question first or my question. First. So I'm a big journaler. And one thing that's really been helpful for me uh, is your self compassion journaling exercise. I love you to walk it walk us uh, through that and help us like understand what this exercise does for us. But we do have a, a question here um, from a veteran. His name's Jack. He says, how do I teach myself self-compassion? How do I teach self-compassion to men like myself, veterans that pride themselves in the image of toughness and uh, avoid any appearance of perceived mental weakness? Um, don't want to appear soft, right? Um, so it also ties of, into the, uh, the fierce and tender self-compassion piece. Yeah. So, um, so first of all, just to say, um, that's an, another block. I didn't talk about it is the fear that, that it will be weak, that it's a weakness. And yeah. so we have a lot of research actually with combat veterans coming back from Iraq or Afghanistan, which show that combat veterans who are more self-compassionate were less likely to develop post-traumatic stress syndrome. Mm. Right. So which in other words, because the incredible pain of what people experience, like how do you be with that pain? Here's a good way to put it, and using the military analogy, who's going to make you stronger? If you have an ally inside your head saying, I got your back, how can I help? What do you need? Or the voice inside your head is an enemy saying, shooting you down, you know, mm -hmm. cutting, a, cutting your legs up from underneath yourself. Of course, you're going to be stronger if you are your own ally as opposed to your own enemy. And so, we, again, a lot of research, um, veterans were less likely to turn to drugs and alcohol as a way to cope with their pain if they had more self-compassion, less likely to develop PTSD, more able to experience post-traumatic growth, which is, okay, you know, kind of what can I learn from this incredibly difficult experience I had? I mean, also uh, less likely to consider suicide as a way of getting, you know, escaping the pain. Because again, it's a resource, it's a strength. And whether it's combat or raising special needs kids or dealing with hurricanes or COVID, you know, the going gets tough, 
the tough get self-compassionate because self-compassion is a strength and a resource that allows you to be with the difficulty without it taking you down. That is strength, right. not weakness. Yeah, that is very um, strong. And, and, how about that? How about that exercise? Then, would would be great um, if you can talk about that or whatever. I'm sorry to cut you off if uh, you're going to say something else. Yeah. So well, so um, for the journaling exercise is basically you can do it a few different ways. One is uh, a simple way is just to ask yourself. Um, you think about something you're going through. Um, some you know maybe you're feeling badly about yourself or you're experiencing some struggle, and just writing yourself a letter as if. Can imagine if I had a really good friend who is experiencing the exact same thing I'm experiencing, what are the types of things I would say? You know, to be supportive, to be encouraging, to be kind, to be strong, to be, you know, I will not abandon you. So that's one way to write the letter, just very simply, what would I say to a friend? Um, another way, I don't know, know if it was in my book yet, but actually a lot of the research now is done by using the three components. So you start with mindfulness, you write yourself a paragraph or two just being aware that this is hard, validating it. This is hard, like looking at it. This is difficult. I'm struggling. No shame in that. You know, this is hard. Um, and then uh, words of common humanity. It's normal. All human beings struggle or have difficulties or imperfect. This doesn't isolate me from others. This actually connects me. This is a part of life. You're just really opening to this aspect of the shared human experience. Um, and then sometimes it really just helps. You know, I'm certainly, we think it's just us. Of course it's not just us. And then some words of kindness, right? Some words of, again, the kindness, the support, the warmth, like the type of thing you would say to a good friend. So sometimes it helps to explicitly bring in the mindfulness and the common humanity, although it's not unnecessary. Um, yeah. And then, so you, you had mentioned before about the strength thing leading to the difference between fierce and tender self-compassion. So I, I really like, I think it's really important to bring up that point. Yeah. So there are two sides of self-compassion. There's the, what I like to call the tender and the fierce. The tender self-compassion is about acceptance. So the accepting side of self-compassion, first of all, is accepting ourselves. We're unconditionally worthy. You know, our behavior maybe have some issues, but we as human beings are worthy. We can accept ourselves and we need to accept our difficult emotions, right? We can't control them. This is arisen. This is where the mindfulness comes in. We need to accept that it's here without resistance. Otherwise, we're going to make it worse. So we accept ourselves and we accept our emotions tenderly. Just like a parent who holds a crying baby. You hold that child, you let that child know you're there for them and the child will eventually start to calm down. This is the healing power of self-compassion. There's also fierce self-compassion. This is like, so if tender self-compassion is mother, mama, you know, I, I metaphorically, fierce self-compassion is mama bear, right? Whether or not you have kids, whether, no matter, regardless of gender identity, mama bear that like, if you threaten my kids, you know, watch out. So that energy of protection that comes from care, right? It's protection. Um, providing, you know, think about with our kids, we may work two jobs, we do anything for our kids, that, the energy of actually doing something to meet others' needs, and then motivating change, you would not be a very good parent if your kid wasn't potty trained by like age 10, you know, so we motivate our kids, we provide for them, we protect them, so that, that energy, that's fierce self-compassion, because that's taking action in the world, so we accept ourselves, but we take action towards our behaviors and our situations, if we're doing a behavior that's harmful, it's not compassionate to accept that behavior. We want to change it. If someone else is doing something harmful, it's not compassionate to accept it. We want to say no, we want to draw boundaries, right? And then also motivating change. It's, it's not compassionate to be complacent. It's compassionate to do what we can to better ourselves and our lives and you know to make improvements. So we, it's like yin and yang. We need both acceptance and action. We need both. If you're too yin without enough yang, you're going to be complacent. If you're too much about action, striving, you know, with no tenderness, you're going to be aggressive. We know this, and yet what, what have we done? We've gendered these things. We've gendered them. Mm, right? yeah. Gender role socialization. So just to be clear, I'm not talking about biological sex. I'm not talking about gender identity if you're trans or cisgendered or whatever. Gender role socialization. 
boys are told they, they can be fierce, they should be fierce, they should take action. Even though all the toys are action toys. Right. <laughs> yep. You get bullied. And this harms men, people going to men directly, because you're, 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 um, you don't have access to this incredible resource of holding your pain with this tender acceptance, which is what allows you to heal. It's like, mm. this is such a powerful tool that boys are like, no, you can't use that. You've got to do it all in action. So that's not good. And people raised as women, it's the opposite. You know, they're allowed to be tender. They're allowed to cry. They're allowed to be sensitive. And that actually, in a way, in some ways, allows women to be more emotionally intelligent, just to say, just in general, because they're yep. allowed to be. They're allowed to explore their emotions. They're allowed to, you know, hold it tenderly. But they aren't allowed to be fierce. There's a little more leeway for women to be fierce, I have to say, than there is for men to be tender. But still, if a woman is too fierce, if she's too successful, think Hillary yeah. Clinton. She's too ambitious. Right. We don't like women. And if a woman's... So men who get angry, we believe men, angry men more. Oh, he's really passionate. Women who <laughs> get angry, we believe less. She's crazy. So yeah. women aren't allowed to access their anger, which can be a very good energy source. You know, um, they aren't allowed to be too competent or successful. And the whole thing is ridiculous because every human being needs yin and yang. We need fierceness and tenderness. Right. They need balance. One without the other is incomplete. And everyone's harmed by this strict gender role socialization. You know, by the way, I'm not saying that like, there's no difference. The way people who identify as women express these might be different than a person who identifies as a, as a man. He may be different from someone who's non-binary. They're going to express differently. Each person is going to authentically express their fierceness and tenderness in their own unique way. But society doesn't allow that uniqueness or that authenticity, mm. and it really does harm everyone. You can well, see I'm yeah. very passionate about the subject because there's so much pain in it. And we don't even right. see it because water we swim in. We don't even realize how repressed we are, regardless of gender right. identity. We don't even realize because it's just like, oh, it's just, I'm not supposed to be that way, you know? And so if you go to one of my self-compassion workshops, 90% yep. of the people that show up are women. Because right. men think, well, that's not a male thing. Even though we know this is one of the, I can tell you, I can show you the data. It's one of the most powerful sources of coping and resilience available to us. And yeah. men don't, can't access it or because of because they're told, us, oh, that's a female thing. It's, it's tragic. It really is. That's why we're doing this show is to open up yeah. men's right. minds and hearts to this kind of this kind of stuff, the, these practices okay. um, and, and really change, change culture and society writ large, hopefully in the, in the long run. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Kristen, I, I know we're coming up to the, the end of your time available, and I know you wanted to run uh, a longer practice that we're very excited about. Um, just yeah. to save a little bit of time, I'm just going to tell the audience ways to find you is you can go to self-compassion.org. Uh, you can go on Instagram at Neff Self Compassion. Facebook is www.facebook.com forward slash self-compassion. And Twitter is at self underscore self-compassion. So those are all the ways, I believe. I'm sure there's other ones that I missed. Did I miss something? No. Well, if you Google self-compassion, it'll take you to my website and you can find it all there. So that's there you go. I got in early. So the algorithms lead to me. Well done. Well done. <laughs> oh, awesome. And there's also, um, you know, you have a whole practice page as well. So you can go yes. right to selfcompassion.org and you can just actually take on these practices immediately. And there's a lot of great, um, you know, Travis Jones says, uh, let me get you uh, for a few strong, or no, that's not true. What is, what is the other one? He said, um, thanks fellas, Dr. Neff, gotta practice some self-compassion and get these clubs fitted. So, uh, you know, and that's, that's, a, that's Anthony. So um, yeah, it's great. I mean, we've already having an impact here, just talking about compassion and, and uh, create better men, every, better everybody. But let's um, yeah. let's have that uh, practice, uh, Kristen. That'd be a great okay. way to complete the show. So this is called the self-compassion break. You can do it anytime um, you're feeling some sort of stress or something difficult is happening, or you've got a, a thought that's difficult, and it's a way of holding the pain of that difficulty with the three components of self-compassion, which again are mindfulness, common humanity, and kindness. So I'll just lead you through it, and we'll do the practice together. So you may want to close your eyes so you can go inward. 
and maybe just taking a moment to settle into your body. So feeling your feet on the floor, feeling the weight of your body on your chair. So just coming back to the present moment. Um, and I would like you to think about some situation in your life right now that's difficult, right? Maybe something stressful is happening to you. Uh, maybe there's a relationship issue or something going on at work. Maybe a physical um, challenge. Or maybe you're struggling with you're just feeling badly about yourself or something. So, and by the way, try not to choose something that's so difficult that it's going to be super overwhelming because you won't be able to learn the practice. So something that's, you know, mild to moderately challenging, difficult. Just play it out, what's happening, what's going on. You should feel a little uncomfortable as you think about it, but again, not overwhelming. It's overwhelming. Choose something a little easier to work with. Okay, so first we want to bring in some mindfulness. So with the mindfulness, we actually just turn toward the pain of this situation and acknowledge it. You know, this moment, it's it's difficult to feel this. It's, it's Difficult to experience this. You know, we're just kind of accepting that this is happening and it hurts. And even if what's happening is just a thought you have about yourself, that it hurts. And then we want to bring in some common humanity. So just remembering that, you know, this is part of being human. No one is perfect. No one leads a perfect life. There's nothing wrong with you or abnormal about experiencing this situation. And in fact, it's, it's part of life. It's what makes you a human being like all human beings. Just remember, you aren't alone. It's not just you. And then we want to bring in some kindness, right? Some encouragement, some support, right? So what does that mean? Just kind of being there for yourself. You might imagine like this ultimate, great, supportive coach who sees clearly you know, doesn't, doesn't bullshit you, sees clearly what's happening. But it's really supportive, it believes in you. What would a really good supportive coach say to you about this situation? You know, I'm, I'm here for you, it's gonna be okay. You'll get through this. You're you're a good person just as you are. You're doing your best. And if you don't if you don't know what to say, you can also imagine that you had a really good friend who was experiencing the exact same thing you're experiencing. Right? What might come more naturally to your friend in terms of talking to your friend? What would you say to to show them encouragement and support? And then just try saying something similar to yourself. Again, no BS. You don't have to BS yourself. You're just here for yourself. Honestly. With kindness. Okay, and then when you're ready, you can open your eyes. Oof. <laughs> that was fantastic, Kristen. That, uh, I needed that big time. You know, it changes the way you relate to something. Absolutely. Almost immediately. Absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you. I enjoy that, uh, you know, 
you know, it's the objective, you know, you're kind of, instead of it being you, you know, telling yourself something kind and something, you know, soothing, it's like someone else, you know what I mean? Like, what, what would your parents say? What would your coach say? What would like, you know, a loving uncle say or sibling or something like that? And it's just like, and that's the voice we yeah. need to really, you know, that part of that transformation and just, oh, it's just a, such an incredible tool. It's really helping. It's changing my life, like self-compassion. Like I've, I've been really, really so incredibly hard on myself all the time. And this is, and I'm sure there's a lot of other people that, that are out there in the same way. I mean, a lot of New Yorkers are like that, you know, um, yeah. for sure. And, um, you know, just to, this is such a great tool. I mean, Thank you, Kristen, for, you know, taking your time today for, you know, being the pioneer and bringing self-compassion to more people and more places and to the world and for your great book as well. I mean, her, her book, this, her book, um, you know, self-compassion is just, it's an easy read, great read, loaded with a lot of exercises. And, uh, you know, if you want to really, you know, improve your, yourself and your relationship to yourself, then self, self-compassion is the way in, in my experience. And I think we're going to be hearing a lot more of it as we go forward. In, in, in our lives. So, yes. awesome. Great. Thank you so much, thank Kristen. You. Anything before thank we go? Thank you so much, Kristen. Oh, Been fantastic being here with you. And uh, we really appreciate what you've shared with us today and with your book and everything else that you're doing. Uh, it is making a dent in the universe, a positive dent. Um, so thank you for that. For our audience, thank you for tuning in today live. And for those who are listening later, if this particular episode has resonated with you or if it's really hit home with you please share it with your family friends whoever else may benefit from it because i think that we all can benefit from it and that is that until next time take care and peace thanks everybody thank you Chris. thank you for joining us today we hope you walk away with some new tools and insights to guide you on your life journey New episodes are being published every week, so please join us again for some meaningful discussion. For more information, please check out mentalkingmindfulness.com.